When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. And with the August 24, we've got episode 81. In fact, you've got it too. Just listen. The brick and mortar retailer that is crushing it in the inner city. We're going to have the story about how City Trends does it. And the little furniture maker that could from Dubuque, Iowa, navigating Chinese tariffs, Mexican politics, and supply chain nightmares to deliver a record quarter and a new virtual power plant energy storage technology that could be a lifesaver in catastrophic power outages like we saw in Texas earlier this year. You don't want to miss this conversation with STEM CEO John Carrington. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're enjoying uh, the Drill Down Podcast and whatever your favorite podcast platform is. That might include Listen Notes. Yes, we're now available on Listen Notes, one of the many platforms which you can enjoy the Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move, and we've got the latest news, the three most important developments in the business world today with executive producer Isaac Webster. Hey, Corey, let's start with uh, housing. A new report from the Commerce Department showed a big increase in new housing inventory. The jump was driven by a record rise in homes that are yet to be built. Builders are taking longer to complete these houses, though, because of, we know, expensive raw materials, scarce land and workers. Single-family home sales increased 1% in July. That's after three straight monthly declines. And tight supply side, tight supply has sidelined some first-time buyers from the market, as we've talked about. Sales declined. 27% on a year-on-year -year basis, and the median home price surges to eight over 18% to 390, over 390,000 from a year ago. Wait, so inventories at a record from houses that aren't yet built? How can it be yeah. counted as a house if it's not even built yet? You better talk to the Commerce Department. I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll speak to my congressperson. Um, you know, uh uh, interestingly, that that three hundred ninety thousand five hundred dollars—that is the highest average price of a home in the history of America. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, and that, no, but that's not. expensive. That's well, expensive. It keeps you know what? <laughs> I guess I shouldn't. Have, I should have thought before I spoke like that. But no, yeah, I mean that prices a lot of people out of the market. It's cool for a seller. It's not cool for a buyer. Yeah, yeah. All right, number two. Let's get to um, TikTok taking cues from Instagram. TikTok and Shopify are working together now to allow consumers to shop directly in the TikTok app for the first time. Up until now, users have been able to buy goods on TikTok through ads on the app. In this pilot program, Shopify merchants will be able to add a shopping tab to their profiles and link to products within TikTok posts. Now, Shopify said it expected to expand this feature to all of its merchants on TikTok this fall. So it's a shopping cart in TikTok. 
Yeah, but it's about time. You know, the Instagram did this, I don't know how, like a while ago. I mean, because I enjoy that on Instagram. But now do TikTok's you? getting the game. Yeah, well, you buy you? stuff from Instagram? Yeah, I do. Oh. I started doing that, I guess, last year. I was scared at first, but then, you know, it's so easy. So it makes you a lookist. A lookist? What, what is a lookist? I don't, I don't think you should be a lookist. I don't think you should judge things on how they look. <laughs> you know me better than that. I am absolutely a lookist. <laughs> All right, let's get to Airbnb. Honestly, this is my favorite story of the day. It really, really made me feel warm and fuzzy when I woke up this morning. Oh, jeez. Yes. Airbnb says it plans to temporarily house 20,000 Afghan refugees. Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky said the refugees will be housed in properties listed on Airbnb's platform and stays will be funded by Airbnb. Chesky did not specify exactly how much the company plans to spend or how long the refugees will be housed, but the U.S. said Monday it's a it has evacuated roughly 48,000 people so far. That number's actually gone up a bit um, as we speak from, yeah. Af- from Afghanistan in the recent days. So I just found very, very happy news to wake up to after everything that we've seen in Afghanistan in the last couple of weeks. Good for Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with that giant technology firm, Palo Alto Networks. Palo Alto Networks trades under PANW. Shares rose 18% today, and they've risen 65% higher over the past 12 months. What's up with Palo Alto now? Yeah, um, big move, as you mentioned today. Uh, mm-hmm. They reported quarterly earnings, revenue of $1.2 billion. Uh, fantastic growth for these guys. It's about a 20, 23% growth year over year. Billings, which is, of course, the the business that's coming down the pike, up mm-hmm. 34% from a year ago to $1.9 billion. So just a really powerful quarter. And as they went on, so Palo Alto Networks is essentially in the security business and and uh, internet security more important than ever before with so many companies turning more and more of their business over online and all, most of us locked up in our homes for much of the last year and a half um, and spending more time online and doing transacting more online. Well, um, the big spending that hasn't come yet is federal government spending. Uh, the CEO, Nikesh Arora, was asked on the conference call about federal government spending and what that meant for the company. Uh, because, you know, we've seen uh, uh, some hints from the Biden administration that they're going to have a big focus in cybersecurity. But because the administration was new in January, because they're still getting all their, their positions filled and all their ducks in a row and have had some other things to deal with, we haven't actually seen a lot of spending on military yet. But here is what uh, CEO Nikesh Arora had to say about what's coming down the pike in the near future. You know, the federal year end is September. So I think it's too late for them to have any material impact this fiscal year. I think they're busy trying to, you know, with a new government in place with change and a lot of people in the administration, it, they usually takes it takes in the first year of administration, it takes a few weeks, months to work through those changes. So I think we're going to see stuff happen in the next fiscal year for the government. Um, they have great intentions. They want to make sure that the cybersecurity posture of the country of infrastructure is improved. You've seen some executive orders in that regard. Uh, There's a very positive mindset in terms of leaning in and solving many of these problems. Uh, I'm hoping that that leads to positive impact for the cybersecurity industry. And there's every suggestion that it will. So we'll see what happens there um, uh, from the federal government spending. But the notion that there's yet another leg to the growth of Palo Alto Networks was seen as a real positive sign today. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at a little company I used to follow years ago and reported earnings today called Flex Steel. 
Flexio. I've never heard of this company. FLXS is what it trades under. Shares rose 2% today, and they've gained 110% a year. So tell me about Flex Steel. Well, Flex Steel reported fourth quarter, fiscal fourth quarter, and, and year-end uh, results for the quarter ending in June, of the year ending in June, um, and in June 30th, to be specific. And uh, uh, they had a great year selling furniture, selling upholstered furniture. That's kind of their specialty. Uh, their net sales were up 110%, $136 million. Most of their furniture is sold in physical stores, not online. And as a result, they didn't have a great year last year, but they're having a great year this year. Net sales up uh, 31% for the entire year. Now, their backlog for retail and home furnishings was $152 million, up 240% year over year. Um, so retail order growth in particular up 85%. So just great growth. Their margins were up, sales up, profits up, um, and they raised their guidance and reported a, a quarter that was actually pretty hard to navigate. It wasn't just COVID. It was international politics, tariffs on the stuff they import from China. Um, Vietnam was largely shut down, which is where they have a lot of their manufacturing. They're also building new manufacturing capacity in Mexico to try to be a little more uh, uh, protected from any uh, both shipping problems uh, overseas, uh, over the Pacific, and to be specific. And also the notion that geopolitical issues could start to affect their ability to get product. So building in Mexico, and they say that their new production in Mexico, and when added to what they've already got, they could do $650 million in capacity if they've got the sales. Very positive quarter from the CEO, Jerry Dittmer, talking about all the things they had to navigate, not least of which uh, was uh, difficulty in China and Vietnam. Expand it out a little bit. Um, part of it is to move away from Asia a little bit because we're overly dependent. Uh, a lot of the Mexico is for our expansion, but we also have really balanced out. We've got uh, in our some of our new product categories, the product's going to be coming from uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, we have uh, some OEMs that supply us here in, in uh, the United States. Uh, and we've also got, like I said, this expansion in Mexico. It's really just a balance out uh, kind of our footprint with more of a global footprint and not be a, have quite as much uh, on the line in Asia as we do now. With that said, we will continue to have a large footprint over in, you know, in Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, China, like we do today. But we're just trying to balance it out more. So there's a word from Dubuque. It's our first sound ever from Dubuque, Isaac. Balance it out. We're, ba we're balancing it out on our show. There we go. Yeah. That's the word of the day. Corey, what's your next drill down? Do we have a word of the day? Is that a thing? Well, now we do. Okay. Yeah. Balance For it out. For our next drill down. <laughs> we will balance at, it out. <laughs> let's look at one of your favorite favorite, perhaps oh, your absolute favorite company. It really is. We've ever I, mentioned. Full disclosure, full disclosure, City Trends, City Trends. City Call Trends. me City Trends. Call me. <laughs> no, listen, I do find this company fascinating because when you first started talking about City Trends on this show, I had never heard of this company. I, I still really, I've never, still never seen one of their stores, but I do find their business model Extremely fascinating. So City Trends trades under CTRN, shares rose 6% today, and they have gained 322% in a year. So I get a phone call uh, about an hour ago from my old friend, Phil Fisher. I haven't talked to him in about a year or so. Mm -hmm. He was once a great stock analyst, was on the buy side for a while. He's 
CEO of a company recently. And so Phil says, uh, you know, he's doing some analysis. He's like, do you want some help doing some analysis in these companies? Like, you know, I just love the research of these stocks. I'm doing some, some retail names lately. And I've, I'm like, oh, I got a retail name you should take a look at. He's like, well, you should look at city trends. I, the word was about to come out of my mouth. City trends. So city trends. He obviously wasn't listening to our show. <laughs> in, indeed. And he probably is listening to this one. But, no, uh, um, uh, and he's a great, he's a What's his analyst. name? Phil? Hi, Phil. Phil Fisher. Hi, Phil. So um, uh, city trends uh, reported a spectacular quarter. So city trends is a retailer of clothes in the inner city. Um, they've got a store, the you know, nearest one to me here in San Francisco. They've got one in, in, uh, in Oakland down on uh, 7th Street in, in West Oakland in, uh, in a, you know, in a tough neighborhood. And this, they've made great business in the inner city all over the country, really turned around this business. So total sales of $237 million, up 30% over the same period last year. Comp store sales up 27% over last year. Just unbelievable growth, better margins. Um, they're buying back shares uh, with all their success and all the revenue they're generating. They're now predicting full year revenues of a billion dollars, which will be a, a, just a fantastic uh, story of growth here. And they're already looking forward to, Isaac, Christmas. You thinking about the holidays already? You start your shopping? Start your planning for Christmas? Uh, no. Well, they are. City Trend is already looking forward to what CVO David Malquin says is one of his very favorite seasons. One of my favorite seasons. Uh, Trend started reinventing how they approached holiday effective with Q4 of 19, and it represented a really good quarter. And as you know, we had a great quarter last year uh, by uh, really amping up the gift quotient within our stores. And this year is going to be bigger and better than ever. So I, I would underline the word uh, gifts. Uh, you know, we are uh, we are gifted, so to speak, this year uh, for Q4, ready to ready and geared up to uh, have a great joyous, festive season. Uh, our customer is extremely generous and giving in nature to their uh, above average size family and uh, loved ones. And we're just thrilled. We can't wait for it. So uh, we're, we're feeling, we're feeling good, but you'll see, you know, bright, shiny, fluffy, uh, smell good gifts um, throughout the front of the store. And we'll, uh, we'll make sure the associates are, uh, are ready to serve uh, with, with no doubt, no doubt will be a nice influx of uh, holiday shoppers. Smell good gifts. Who doesn't like that? All right. I mean, but he did. He really didn't give us any clues on why they do so well. <laughs> well, he he. No, I shouldn't say that. I think that he or you shouldn't say that. Damn it. Um, why? He said that his customers have a larger than average family. Okay. There's a clue. For. So they knew. They know their customers. They saw what worked the last couple of years, and uh, and they're going to be more prepared this time around. All right. I still really want to just get underneath the hood of this company, tinker around. Maybe they'll call you back someday. Maybe. I'm waiting by the phone. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, we're going to look at a really interesting uh, company that's in the business of helping provide more energy to small and medium and large sized businesses. The CEO of STEM joins us, John Carrington, right after this. And the drill down is brought to you by Indeed. Here's a big question for every kind of business when you're hiring. How do you know who's really best for the role? Well, save time and screen for quality candidates with the skills you need with Indeed assessments. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all the hiring in one place, including interviewing. 
So don't just hope the perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are already on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests to find out if the person you're hiring actually has the skills you need. Now, according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And get started right now. Drill Down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Drill Down. It's Indeed.com slash Drill Down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by the CEO of STEM Incorporated. John Carrington joins us uh, right here from the San Francisco Bay Area, near enough to my my home here in the Ferry Building. Uh, glad to have you, John. So what is STEM? How do you guys make money? Well, thanks, Corey. Great to be here. And so we're a market leader in artificial intelligence software that controls energy storage devices. And these are smart energy storage solutions that enable rapid adoption of renewables onto the electricity grid. And so what we do is provide our customers a complete energy storage solution that includes the integrated battery hardware, the battery optimization, all of which is optimized from our proprietary software platform called Athena. And with this integrated system, we deliver value to our customers by reducing their energy costs, reducing carbon emissions, and stabilizing the grid. And then finally, from a customer-based standpoint, those include commercial industrial or CNI, utilities and co-ops, and then renewable asset owners and renewable developers. So that's a little background on who we are and what we do, Corey. So should we think of it as a hardware business or as a software business? Because you got both. I would think of it, we do have both, yeah. And I think uh, at this stage in the industry, we are um, you know, 60, 40 from a revenue standpoint, hardware, software. Um, it's still early days. And I think long-term, we will be the integrated software into all these energy storage solutions. Effectively think of it as the Microsoft operating system. <clears throat> but today, in where we are in the in the uh, space, it's really about providing the fully wrapped solution with the battery, with the software, and all the domain expertise we bring to the space. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I want to get to the software and hardware breakup stuff, or the, to understand the both the two businesses separately. But start. Let's go back to your customers. Who is a typical customer for you? Give, give me like one example. Sure. So on the commercial industrial side, you almost have to split it up in different segments. Yeah. But on the CNI side, think of it as your Fortune 500 companies. And that's the likes of, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Home Depot, any multi-location we really like because we'll do a master service agreement with them. And then as they grow or we grow in our new markets, we'll uh, collectively grow together into those new areas. And are you selling, then, what, essentially a battery in the software that goes with it? Yeah, so I'm, effectively I'm, I'm, we... I'm massively oversimplifying it. I apologize. No, no, no. It's, I'm no, simple it's, myself. No, no problem. It, what we do is we'll go... Let's take Home Depot as an example. We'll we'll go to the energy procurement side, typically chief sustainability officer, whoever it might be, and we will approach them with, hey, look, uh, pick your favorite state in the U.S. There is a play there. We would like to put together a master service agreement with you. We'll provide all the hardware. We'll provide all the software you need, 
And we have a variety of outside uh, support that actually builds the, the, the product and puts it in and we light it up remotely from a software standpoint. But then what we do is the Athena platform is predicting what will be the best economic outcome for that uh, location. So we're actually looking at- So the, the hardware you're referring to is what? Batteries? Yes, yeah, so the solution is actually a large battery system. And those can be supplied from Tesla, Samsung, or um, LG as an example. And then we put our software layer on top of it because effectively a battery is, is really not very intelligent. We like to think of Athena as the energy super intelligence then opens up all the use cases that we can provide to that battery. Why would a company want a battery instead of taking power off the grid? I'm, I'm a simple question again. I'm yeah, so <clears throat> if you're taking power off the grid, that's kind of like demand response, which is basically turning things off and changing your operations. The beauty of our solution, Corey, is when we put it at the building, the customer sees no impact to their business. And we're actually injecting battery when it's needed to lower their usage so that the utility sees a lower energy level. The customer obviously saves on that. We also provide the opportunity to bid into markets when the utility or grid operator needs that capacity in times of constraint. Here in California, we've done that over 20,000 times in the last year alone particularly in light of the wildfires and, and extremely warm weather. But all of that's going behind, behind the scenes with the customer. So that's the part they really like. They do not want to change their operations and the Athena platform enables that. So if I can paraphrase the, the, the business issue here, if a, if a Home Depot is turning on a bunch of lights at a certain time or starting to run a bunch of refrigerators, air conditioning, they turn it on, they turn it off, the, the adjustment in the demand off the grid causes them to uh, hit a higher level on the power company. The power company charges them as if they were using that amount of power all the time when they aren't. This lets them, when they're not using a lot of power, pull power off the grid into the battery and then pull power off the battery instead of off the grid, maintaining a lower usage level 24-7. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's very accurate, I think, description. I, I would say one addition to that is there's an interesting tariff structure from the utilities with CNI customers, whereby the highest 30 minute peak, Corey, is actually what they pay for the entire month. Oh. So if you can reduce that peak, that's what the utility sees. And we're looking at second to second latency. They're looking at 15 minute latency. So we have the ability to drive that cost down at a monthly level. That's very compelling to our customers. And it represents up to 30% savings for those CNI customers. Wow, that's huge. And so, okay, so it now is. I get it. So, so, and and you and does your software essentially analyze the usage of the of the the customer, or is it also analyzing what's happening on the grid? It does both. That's right. So, the predictive analytics piece knows what the customer footprint looks like, what the digital signature is going to be throughout the day, and then we're looking out at what market opportunities we can participate in. And one of the things that we bring our customers is, in many cases, utility programs. So take Los Angeles, where Southern Cal Edison is the lead utility. We actually have a contract with them to provide capacity. So effectively, we put these batteries or virtual power plants all throughout Los Angeles. And then Southern Cal Edison can call on us for that capacity when they need it, while we're optimizing to save our customers money related to those demand charges or other use cases we may have. That's, that's super interesting. Do you ever sell the software without the hardware? We have. Um, in fact, we, we well, let me step back. We have 100% attach rate with our hardware when we sell the, to, the, to our direct customers. 
But what's interesting is there was a very large program that went out for bid in Southern California, and it represented about 350 megawatt hours at 85 sites. And what had happened was the um, new buyers of this platform, uh, they'd sold it from Macquarie had sold this platform, and the new owners were not happy with their performance. So we won the offering, we put Athena on top of it, and we've seen 25 to 30% enhancements in the savings at the customer. So proving once again, really the Athena platform is world-class and, and really the industry leader. It's, it's super interesting. So you mentioned earlier that you're 60, 40 hardware to software, but if the software has got hundred percent attach rate to the hardware, how do you, how do you, how do you account for separate software sales if the software is mostly sold with the hardware anyway? Yeah. Well, so it's the, the, the deal is that when we deliver the hardware, we, we can, um, we can register the Recognize hardware that. revenue at that time. Right. And the software is over a 20-year or 10-year timeline dependent upon our contract. So that's why you see a bigger revenue print on the hardware side than you do software. But what's great about it is longer term, those software contracts are accruing over a 10 to 20-year uh, timeline. And that's very unusual. When you think about a SaaS model, it's you know two-year, kind of one-year type tenure. And, and we're looking at these much longer um, opportunities on our contract. So it gives us great earnings visibility and this massive high margin businesses in the out years. So, you know, as we look at 2026, as an example, half of our gross margin, which is forecast to be almost 500 million is in the software. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, and, and obviously it all, sit, all sits in a balance sheet. So you can kind of recognize it over time. So you really get gives some predictability that you might not have otherwise. That's right. And I think what's what else is interesting is, you know, if you think about the use cases that we have today in many markets, there's what's called the Rocky Mountain Institute wheel of storage. And basically they look at 13 use cases that storage can apply, which is important because I've been in the solar business at first solar as an example, and solar is kind of a one trick pony, right? Storage, you have these 13 different use cases. And what we found is we might start with one or two, and then we can take it to three, four, and five. We've proven that in Ontario, as an example, and in other markets. So you have this first mover advantage that once you're at the customer, and today we've never been thrown out, once you're at the customer, then as markets evolve, you can add more and more Athena and share in those savings, and the customer can garner more savings as well. So it's a really, really compelling model. And we think that uh, the first mover advantage is just huge for us. And as I said, we are the market leader on that front as well. Now you've gotten involved with some of the states when they've had some weather issues or fire. You mentioned California fires and uh, you've put up some press releases about things that you're doing with Governor Newsom and, and the state of California. Similarly, you talked, you just mentioned Ontario, Ontario and New York. You've gotten involved with some extreme heat issues. Explain to me what's, what business you're bringing to them or what, what technologies you're bringing to those customers. Sure. So, I mean, when you, when you think about the grid itself, when wherever you've seen an enhanced utility focused, or sorry, uh, renewable focused, and a lot of it's by the utilities, a lot of it's by regulators, inherent to renewables is the intermittency associated with that. You always hear the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. But what storage does is it really acts as a very fast responding um, offset to those problems. So, as a solar, you know, large solar facility in Nevada, particularly around Las Vegas, if you have cloud cover rolling and all that HVAC goes off and then comes back on, it's a big problem. So NV Energy has to solve that and they can solve that vis-a-vis -vis, uh, storage. So people look at it, utilities, regulators look at it as really a nice solution to offset 
an unintended consequence of renewables. So that's really been our fit. The other thing that's kind of exciting about it, Corey, is you can be very strategic about where you place these virtual power plants, as they're called. So if there's a constrained substation in Manhattan, we could put our our um, product around that area to kind of shore up that weakness because obviously Manhattan, Chicago, these large cities, you can't drop a gas peaker plant in there. And yet there's some of our most some of our oldest and most constrained grid in the country. Yeah, uh, super interesting stuff uh, in terms of the the ability to to fix that those problems you mentioned. But you also talk about the rapid cost reductions of battery hardware. What's going on there as it relates to technological improvement, Moore's law, which is you know pe- people who don't follow this stuff, even people who do follow stuff, think that Moore's law is science, and it's really not. It's really it was a marketing right. concept that the science had to support. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that's pretty, what we see in batteries too. We do. It's it's pretty remarkable because it's kind of the, the perfect storm actually because what you have is renewables coming down significantly to the point where solar, wind are now below the cost of coal even and combined cycle gas. And you add that to this massive deflation of battery costs, as you mentioned. A lot of that deflation is driven by the um, in, in enhancement and the capacity additions, the enhancement technology-wise from an energy density standpoint, that's lowering the cost, and obviously the additional capacity that's been added, primarily driven by EVs. The nice thing about our product is the EV battery is the same that we're using for the grid storage side. So not only do you have an opportunity to kind of drive that cost curve down, but the secondary use, because the batteries in an EV after six years will need to be replaced. And we can certainly use that capacity into the grid side, which will be uh, dramatically lower cost. But the price reductions in conjunction with the lower cost of renewables generates a market that's growing at 25X over the next 10 years. And that represents a $1.2 trillion market. And that's according to Wood McKenzie. It's hard for me to say the word trillion. I was kind of sworn off of that word back in my GE days, <laughs> but I will tell you that's exactly what they have in front of us. And look, we're we're kind of in the third inning of this, which is super exciting. It's just a huge and growing market, one of the biggest growing markets in the world. And you, indeed, your your financial, so you guys went public through a SPAC, so you issued financial projections. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest differences of going public with a SPAC instead of an IPO is that you can put out those per, uh, those predictions or the companies do put out those predictions. We've seen a lot of SPACs have fallen on their face when they could, can't hit even the earliest of those. Your predictions are really interesting to me because they they ramp up significantly. You promised $147 million in revenues for the first year and yet delivered $15 million in only the first quarter. And I'm not good at math, but $150 million divided by 10, not four quarters. It would be 10 quarters at $15 million. So you obviously have a lot of growth and a lot of um, seasonality built into the fourth quarter. Why is that? Why do you expect this business to deliver so much in the back end uh, compared to the front end? Yeah, it's it's really, um, it's it's based upon all the experience that we've seen to this point. The last four or five years has been a very similar seasonality track. So you're right, the first quarter and second quarter, the high end of our guidance was 25% at that point. And by the way, we were a little over 24%. So we're on track at the high end of guidance. And then third quarter and fourth quarter, as you mentioned, are much larger. So the third quarters, we put out a range of 20 to 30% and the fourth quarter is 50 to 60%. But traditionally the fourth quarter has been huge. And so when we laid this out and put our model together, we modeled it the same way as we've seen to this point. So uh, we reaffirmed our, um, you know, our 20, 
21 revenue number. We're very confident in the year and, and feel terrific about the first half to this point. And, but, but again, the, the, is it about seasonality or is it just about growth? Well, it's both. I mean, but the typically just the second half of the year is much larger. Um, and I, you know, we'll see what we put out next year. We haven't done that to this point, but I would expect our model to again be he more heavily weighted in the second half. And there are a few things that can drive that, Corey. If you have ITC or other regulatory things, they will typically expire at the calendar year. So in that fourth quarter, a lot of people try to beat that uh, expiration so it's, or maybe it's a, that it's reduction a, in a tariff. Use it or lose it. Is the, exactly. Is the, yeah, exactly. Or, or lose it. Uh, you, you use it. But if you don't use it, it'll be a less significant level uh, the following year, possibly. So you'll still get it, but you're incentivized to get it done in that calendar year. Is there something weather related there as well? Not really. Uh, you know, we obviously are a little bit encumbered up in Ontario, as an example, in the winter. But for the most part, um, it's more driven just to it just the second half is much larger than the first and, and we expect more of the same this year. And, and let me ask, why is the company based in San Francisco? You know, it, the founders were here uh, and we've just, we've, we've had a lot of success here with, with software talent, as you can imagine with Stanford and Berkeley. Um, we have, do have location in Austin, Texas, our BD teams down there. We have, uh, smaller locations throughout the country. So we'll expand as needed. We also have a, a location up in Seattle. So we, we definitely are not only in San Francisco, but I think just the genesis here and the talent for software is, has proven to be very successful for the company. And uh, are you guys back in the office yet? We are. We have a new office downtown. We're waiting for the construction to be completed. So we'll uh, hopefully be there in the next 30 days. And uh, we did a little survey, Corey, and it looks like people are very excited to come back. Contrary to some of the things that we're reading out there, uh, it seems like this team wants to get in front of one another again. And I, I can't wait. I'm very excited to get together with the team again. Well, come on in. The water's warm. I'm downtown as well. Exactly. It's, it's coming back. Uh, John, really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, it's such an interesting company and such a, a big, you know, we're kind of on the, on the, on the end, it looks like the things we've been talking about for a long time with this business. John Carrington is the CEO of uh, of STEM, S-T-E-M Incorporated, based, as we said, right here in San Francisco. Well, coming up next, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. These guys have a lot of power out there in the world. How many uh, watts of power do they have? We'll have that number with that drill down bite, that one number, when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And we hope you listen to the Drill Down podcast every day like so many people have made a regular habit in their day to get the latest in business news, understand the business stories behind some stocks and a move. That's easier when you hit the subscribe button and follow us so you can make sure to download every show and not miss a single episode. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. These guys at STEM went public with one gigawatt of aggregate system capacity across 900 locations all over everywhere from the U.S. to Canada to Chile to Japan. One gigawatt, Isaac, is a ton. That's enough for like 110 million LED lights. It's like 412 of those giant utility-scale wind turbines. That's how much they've got out there uh, in the world. 
uh, gathering and holding and storing and, and distributing power. That's a ton of power. So far. They're just getting started. He blew it. I was going to save the bite to be how much revenue they expect in the, of, for the year in the fourth quarter, but he gave that away at about 50%. So uh, definitely a back-end loaded uh, year for these guys, reflecting that kind of growth that they're seeing. All right, you've been listening to Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.